Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Ella, and you're listening to Dig Deeper, a deep dive into the psychological explanations of social experiences, everyday struggles, and philosophical perspectives. And for this week's episode, we will be talking about phobias. A phobia is an irrational fear of a certain object or situation that makes people feel the need to avoid it. So it's different than a fear because it is debilitating. So it's a super specific fear that inhibits you to carry on life if you don't avoid it. Mm-hmm. So it's not something like, I'm afraid of spiders. It's like, if I see a spider, my life is disrupted. There is, I can't get by like normal. Yeah, you have physiological reactions Mm -hmm. to that spider. So there are certain categories of phobias. So there's situational phobias, which is the most common type of phobia. And this is, for example, a fear of being in an elevator or a tunnel or being in a tight space or something like that. So being in a situation. There's also fear of natural events occurring. So like being stuck in a storm or fears of tornadoes or stuff like that. Um, There's also animal phobias, which is pretty common. So that's being scared of spiders or snakes or dogs. And then there's also phobias of medicine and like seeing blood and injections or having an illness or something along those lines. And then a phobia generally comes when you acknowledge that it's irrational, but you can't not be afraid of it. Exactly. So like you can realize that oh, this injection will actually help me. And you can know that, but you can't help but be very scared by it. Mm -hmm. So as far as causes for phobias, most common would be generally just direct conditioning. um, So experience with the fear. And it can also be acquired through observational learnings, watching somebody else be affected by something like bitten by a spider or something. And then genetics also play a pretty big role. So you're three times more likely to develop a phobia if a family member has one. And then also um, there's another psychodynamic view of phobias, which would be like when you have a phobia that's like a displacement to a non-threatening object. So if you have some sort of dangerous situation, you don't want to admit that that's what you're afraid of. So you blame it on being afraid of the dark or being afraid of an animal or a situation and it manifests into a fear, even though it stemmed from something else. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that the psychodynamic view is kind of like the Freudian view. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yes. It's a little, I don't know, more... Of a leap? Of a leap, I would say, by saying like, if you were abused as a kid, that's why you're afraid of the dark. That's kind of like, Mm. that's going. Yeah. Uh, It's like, Mm. you're just blaming on something else. Um, But... Freud was kind of crazy, so yeah. that's not surprising. But still interesting to think about. Yeah, and it, it could have some ground, because the mind is crazy things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And- Maybe as far as, like, an actual phobia, it's a big jump, but it makes sense, like, being afraid of something because it was in a certain situation or, you know, something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's really interesting that genetics play such an important part, because mm-hmm. when I first heard phobias are learned through direct conditioning, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. because if you see your parent be afraid of a spider then you're also going to be afraid of a spider because you trust your parent they say at one point in your life so you're like oh like spiders must be bad or if you actually experience or exactly that makes total sense if you get bit by a dog like yeah like you're gonna have a fear of dogs but the genetics is really fascinating to me because that means that having a phobia is in our dna sometimes Mm. yeah i mean i guess that it would be interesting to know psychologically what 
predisposes you to having a phobia. I don't know. That's interesting. I bet it's the same part of our brain that is predisposed to anxiety because Mm -hmm. um, phobia and anxiety go really hand in hand. I mean, if you even look at the most common phobias, social phobias, commonly known as social anxiety disorders, which is the irrational fear and avoidance of social situations in which one fears humiliation. So this can take form in being as extreme as being scared to talk to anyone and being scared just to have conversations Mm -hmm. with even your friends. It could be you being scared to go to parties and being in a big environment, or it can be personal and more just being afraid of public speaking. And people have a lot of anxiety around public speaking, and most people actually have anxiety around public speaking. Um, But again, to reiterate, it only becomes a phobia, like a social phobia, when it's debilitating Mm -hmm. and disrupts what would normally happen if you didn't have that fear. Social anxiety disorder usually develops during adolescence. And this makes a lot of sense because during your adolescence, you're so Mm self-conscious and you're finally becoming aware of yourself and what other people think of you. And Mm -hmm. you're becoming aware of just you as a human being on this earth. So you're no longer a kid, just being a kid. In our research that we found is that like child actors are a lot more likely to get social phobias, which I think makes sense because they're exposed to something super intense at a really young age. Adolescence is when your brain is really able to develop. So if you're famous when your brain is developing, that that is just kind of messes with mm-hmm. the way in which your brain develops. Yeah. Do you want to go into more just generalized anxiety disor- disorder? Yeah. Can I speak to that now? I, this came up a lot in our research just because phobias and anxieties really go hand in hand. And they're not necessarily the same thing because while phobias are more specific fears of specific things, most anxiety manifests in generalized anxiety disorders, which is having excessive anxiety and just constant worry hanging over your head for at least six months. So what makes it a disorder is, again, everyone has anxieties at some point, and that's just a human thing to experience anxiety. But if you have pervasive anxiety Mm -hmm. that lasts up to six months and inhibits your day-to-day activities, then it's considered disorder. Yeah, so with anxiety, um, obviously there's a genetic predisposition aspect to it. And then different stressful life situations like trauma or death um, or abuse play a big role. And then it can also be a learned behavior. So yeah, there are a lot of different causes to anxiety. And obviously we are still learning a lot about psychology and the brain and different ways that people develop anxiety. Yeah, and I think that finally we're at the point in our society where it's really acceptable to talk about people's anxieties. Mm-hmm. I'm really optimistic that with that new mindset, mm-hmm. people won't yeah. feel so alone in their anxiety because a lot of people have anxiety, but it's yeah. so isolating when you don't realize that other people do too. And it, again, like defining it as a disorder, I feel like is important because mm-hmm. you're not necessarily taking on all that blame. You, you know, define it as a condition. And with that, there are coping mechanisms and medication and people that you can relate to. And I feel like there is a lot of power in being able to define it and see it as a disorder instead of like, yeah, like a personal fault, I guess. Yeah. I feel like that's changed a lot recently in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, with anxiety, I think 
it is important to define the difference between, oh, I have anxiety sometimes and I have an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. But I think developing coping mechanisms and learning more about brain chemistry and ways that we can combat these issues is such a helpful, interesting thing. And it's like, I don't know, I like, I just, I think it's very cool that we as a society are learning more about the causes of these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even speaking personally, there's like periods of my life where I get pretty anxious, you know, Mm -hmm. and like those times feel so isolating and I feel I'm going crazy and I feel like just I'm anxious about having anxiety and learning more about it is really empowering because I'm like, okay, I'm not alone and there's ways to calm myself down. And I've kind of had this ritual where I know I'm like, oh, magnesium really helps. So I'll take magnesium supplements and being around a lot of people who um, were more experienced in dealing with anxiety was really beneficial to me because I had resources and I could ask and be like, okay, like I'm feeling anxious. And then they would always be like, okay, pinpoint it. What are you feeling anxious about? Anxiety is kind of tricky because even if you know what we kind of said this before about Mm -hmm. phobias, like even if you know what is making you anxious, you still feel anxious. You can't really just be like, oh, this is what's making me anxious. So I'm not going to feel anxious anymore. You're still going to feel anxious, but it allows you to take a step back a little bit and be like, oh, okay, this is not like my world is not falling apart. I'm just being anxious right now. And that helps like a little bit, I guess. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think being able to just say things out loud and talk things out with people is huge because then your brain isn't just spinning and spinning yeah and I felt so validated when I started like sharing what Mm -hmm. I was being anxious about because people were just validating they're like yep I felt that too personally I have a lot of fears about death and dying and like that's where a lot of my anxiety comes in Mm -hmm. and um I was just feeling so debilitated about like always feel like feeling like I was dying and always Mm. being afraid to die and having so much fear around death. And I'm pretty sure that came, um, not to like therapize myself, (laughs) but I feel like a lot of that came with the pandemic and just having so much death and anxiety Mm. in the air. And I feel like that's when I started really having those anxious thoughts surrounding death. That's huge. That makes sense. Um, But I didn't make that connection until I talked to people. And then I talked to one of my roommates with the same exact fear of being super anxious about death and dying. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And she was able to rationalize it because she would say something that made her anxious. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Like, why did that make you anxious? And then she's like, do you see what you're doing? Like, that's making you like that same thing I could say about you is, oh, like, don't be afraid of that. That's stupid. Obviously, that is not a cure to anxiety, but it kind of helps you take a step back and be like, okay, no, this is just anxiety. This is not like real life and stuff. Well, and in summary, like you are not alone. Yeah. And that is, I don't know, like the cool thing about having the vocabulary to talk about this now, like you aren't alone. And there are so many people out there with different resources and like different ways of connecting about it. That's really awesome. That's why I love psychology because there is actual reasons why you are feeling anxious. You can identify, oh, the amygdala and the hippocampus are the key players into what makes you anxious. Being able to pinpoint like what part of your brain actually causes those anxieties allows you to rationalize those anxieties and be like, okay, this is this is just a part of my brain being a little screwed up yeah. at the moment. That is the very cool thing about psychology. But yeah, to wrap it up, <laughs> you kind of went a little off track with yeah. ideas, but all in the same. And very helpful and interesting to talk about, I think. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I'm Molly. And I'm Ella. <laughs> and that was Dig Deeper.